0: Welcome to the
1: next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message.
0: So today we are uh, going to begin something a little bit different than we've actually ever done. Um, for the rest of the summer, we are going to be doing a uh, study of a book of the Bible which we have done in the past with a couple sermon series is that where we've kind of done sermons out of one book of the Bible for a period of time. Um, I think we've done Galatians. Uh, I know we've done Romans. Um, but, you know, I think this this year what I really wanted to try was, especially since we're now in a format where we're in the house and we have an opportunity to really, you know, kind of talk together. Um, I've always been intrigued by the way that the uh, early church, how they would um, come together. One of the things that they would do is they didn't really have preachers. I mean, they had priests, like the the Jewish people would have priests, and they would read from the scrolls. Um, But when the Christians would get together, um, particularly, and even even you see it in Jesus' time, there would be people who would gather around a rabbi in the synagogue, and he would read something, he would give his particular kind of interpretation, but then there would be kind of conversation about it, um, which then extended into the streets where they would talk with each other, and Jesus would say things that you've heard it said, but I say this, and those kinds of things, and then that was extended into the Christians. They would come into each other's homes, and then when a letter was written, right, so so like uh, an epistle would come from uh, the Apostle Paul or from Peter or John, And then they would read it together, and then they would sit and they would talk about what it means. And I've always been intrigued by that, because that's not the standard way that you would go to church in a modern context. You typically um, would go to a Sunday morning worship service, and then you would hear a pastor preach. And then you would just kind of hear it for 30 minutes, and then you would leave. And it was kind of up to you to study things. Or maybe if you had, like, a small group throughout the week, you would come back together. And sometimes they'd be doing their own context— or their our own content, or other times, like in our church, the way we used to do, we would actually unpack the scriptures from that Sunday. Um, so I just thought this would be a really neat opportunity for us to walk through the scriptures together live, not so much prepared with what I feel like I want to say, or what God wants to say through it, through me, in, in the sense of as uh, a sermon, but more like a natural progression of us. Let's read together and You know, when things stand out, as questions come up, we can talk about them and just kind of discuss those and integrate them. So I'm pretty excited about it. We'll see how it goes. Who knows, maybe it'll be an incredible flop and then we'll switch to something else. But I think this is going to be pretty cool. So if you guys would, we're going to be um, starting in the book of James. Uh, So if you guys would open your Bibles, um, whether you have a hard copy Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, um, we're going to be reading from the book of James, which is in the New Testament, uh, near the end of the New Testament, Um, James chapter one, verse one, and I'm reading out of the CSB version. It's called Christian standard Bible. Um, so you could probably change your, uh, interpretation, uh, text if you want at the top of your screen, if you're interested in doing that, or you'd like to follow along on your own. So let's just start off right off the bat. And then, uh, this is a moment I want to be clear. Let's just pop in. If anybody has anything that they want to say, they have a question, a word that stands out. I even have Bible study tools on my phone that I could pull up and we could look into Greek and stuff like that. So, you know, let's let's have a good time with this and we'll just see where it goes. So James, a servant of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings. So before we even go any further, I think there's some stuff right here. Look how James, like... How he, how he introduces himself. When you introduce yourself to somebody, you know, you usually use a, a title, right? Like, so people know what level of authority you have. So, like, if you're at a workplace, right, you would invite yourself, you would introduce yourself, hey, my name is Jared, and I'm a senior technical recruiter. Like, that's what my job is. I let them know that I'm a senior technical recruiter because that means I'm not just a regular technical recruiter. That means that I have more more responsibility, right? Um, sometimes, I mean, you hear that, right? People say, I'm a manager, I'm a lab manager, or, you know, I'm a doctor so-and-so, or, you know, whatever it might be. But look at his his title. A servant of God. He didn't even call himself an apostle. Like, Paul did. Paul would, right? So, right off the bat, James said said that he's a servant of God. What does that imply? Like, what do you guys think that, like, what is he trying to say right off the bat there when he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ? Like, what's the first thing that just pops into your mind as far as, like, what he's trying to get off, just kind of start his letter with? Humble. Humility, for sure. I mean, the word servant, right? We talked a couple weeks ago about the one, um, like, serving with the, the towel, like, washing the feet, right? So I, I feel like he's trying to identify with Jesus right off the bat, like he's saying, like, Jesus told us that we are going to be servants first of all. And so I just want to let you know, like, this is who I am. There's this, this reference there to Romans 1.1, 1, 1,
2: mm. where Paul writes, Paul, the servant of Christ, Jesus, called to be an apostle. So even Paul says, well, I'm a servant first, and then yeah. I've also been called to be an apostle.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if you guys ever know this. I mean, you know, everybody probably reads the Bible in different ways or maybe has different upbringings or how they've read the Bible. Um, if you're reading, particularly on a phone or a tablet, you'll notice that after some words there are the little three dots or, you know, like a little you can click on that and it shows you other passages of scripture that are either relate that are usually related in some way to that to that passage. So what Tad just did was he went to where it said a servant of God and clicked on it and it shows you that there are a variety of verses that talk about being a servant of God in Romans 1.1 1, 1 is where another introductory letter from the Apostle Paul who, who started off by calling himself one as well. So then it says to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Who do you think the 12 tribes are? Like what do you think he's talking about? Is he only talking to Jewish people you think? Well, the 12 tribes was definitely something that was called, that would be called like the 12 tribes of Israel. But he's obviously writing to a bunch of Christians, so that wasn't really a trick question. It was just more of a kind of an out loud thing. So he's talking to, at this point, when the Christians, when, when, when the Jewish people became Christians, they were still, they still saw them, themselves as Jewish. And this is really interesting, actually. It's not really something that so much is brought out in the book of James, where it's more in Galatians. But the idea of like us today, we don't consider ourselves Jewish people, right? Like, we are not, um, unless you come from a Jewish line of people, most Christians would not identify as Jewish individuals. Now, these guys obviously were direct lineage from Jewish people, but there is not any space in the Bible that talks directly about that, like, you're not supposed to be. Jewish, more. In fact, there's a another version in the scripture that talks about how we are grafted into the to the vine. We're brought into the line of the Jewish people, and so. But somewhere along the way, and that's more of a church history thing. Somewhere along the way, there actually became a separation where, and you can actually see some of it in Paul's gospel and gospel, Paul's um, epistle in Galatians, where where there was the line between. Um, being circumcised and not being circumcised, and there was a big division among among Christians because there were Gentiles coming in, those who were not Jewish, and and they were being treated as though they were less than Christians, you know, because they weren't uh, or less than like their Jewish counterparts because they weren't circumcised, they didn't you know they ate different foods and stuff, and so somewhere along the line that that Gentile people actually kind of took over and started to erase their Jewish. History, But you can see right here from James, James 1, still verse 1, to the 12 tribes that he still saw themselves as Jewish people who were redeemed by Christ, not that it was supposed to be a separate religion. I thought that was pretty interesting too. And they're dispersed abroad because they have now uh, won from persecution. By the time this was written... They're talking about AD 45, AD 46, okay? So so Jesus has been crucified and resurrected for about 10, 15 years at this point, okay? That's kind of the general idea of where we're at in here. So it, what had happened is Christianity started to rise. People really started to, to, like, follow. Thousands and thousands of people were coming to know Christ, but there was also a great persecution that was happening. And so we see in the very beginning of the book of Acts that they were, like, fleeing, right? So if you look to... Uh, right after Abroad, um, the diaspora, Jewish people scattered throughout Jewish lands. And then if you click on the next one, John 7.35 and 1 Peter 1, one talk more about it. If you look in the book of Acts, you'll see that they went to other places because they were being persecuted. So James is basically writing a letter and saying, Can you guys like take this letter, copy it, and send it to your houses? Like Share this on Facebook. Like Get it out there for, for other people to see. That's essentially what he's doing. So now we know who he's writing to. James... A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. And now we're going to get into probably the most famous part of James, right? That most people know about. Can I get a volunteer to uh, to maybe read uh, to read verse uh, two, and we'll go through. Let's see. Let's start. we we'll just go with verses two through four. Anybody want to read that? What was the? James 1, 2 through 4. Nice and loud for the people in the back.
3: Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing.
0: Awesome. Consider it great joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Let's talk about that one. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials.
1: So I, I have the uh, NLT version, and uh, mine's interesting because it says, consider it an opportunity for great joy.
0: So mine says, consider it great joy. Yours says an opportunity for great joy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Consider it an
1: opportunity for great joy, which is pretty crazy.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, this is one of the most famous passages, you know, in James, right? Everybody thinks about James from the perspective of this verse. Oftentimes there are other big ones too, but this is a big one for sure. Consider it great choice. Can you imagine the very first time... I don't know. Actually, I wonder. Like, What I was going to say is, can you imagine the first time they heard this, how shocked they were? But I don't know. Like these guys are pretty radical Christians, right? I mean, their lives had been dramatically transformed by Jesus. So maybe it wasn't nearly as surprising to them. Perhaps it was just a reminder to them, maybe. I don't know. Think about that for a second. Like, like it's shocking to me, I will say that much. Does anybody else agree with that? Like, this statement is so counter...
1: I mean, when do you ever, you know, like when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When is there ever a time in my life where I'm going through (laughs) something and I'm like, yes, this is an opportunity for me to be excited about it.
3: Can't wait to suffer.
1: But then then I also think about it. So just in my own situation, you know, we we had an unexpected car bill come up and we had to have almost $1,000 worth of car repairs done and it wiped out the money that we had set aside for something else and... I was given the opportunity to work nights at my work for overtime to make up that money and my first reaction was well that stinks i don't want to have to work nights but then i had to turn it around and make, but that's a blessing like god is blessing me to be able to work nights and work long hours so i kind of i mean it's not quite the same thing but still like it wasn't a comfortable situation but i had to consider it a blessing in the midst of of not wanting a blessing to do in something it.
3: I will say that for me, I have gotten to a point in—not all the time, so it's not like I've like
0: arrived. But (laughs) apparently, neither are they. He's reminding them. (laughs) There
3: have been there have been a couple times where something really like crappy, inconvenient, whatever it is, has happened, and my first— not my first, but like maybe like my second response (laughs) has been, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this, like. That sometimes the only way I can think about it is that my first reaction, right? My human reaction is to be like, oh, are you kidding me? Of various of those. Right. But to go from that fairly quickly into, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this, though. Because I've seen so many times where God has shown up in my life and proven and turned really awful you know, things around into major blessings or at minimum I've been able to see God operate and that has blessed me. So like, I'm sure that's the maturity that James is speaking about, you know, to be like, you don't have to like it, but you can at least see what God is doing in it and that will bless you. That will be the full blessing he's talking about.
0: Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask. I was going to ask that question as you were saying, like, do you think the goal is for us to... Like, that's our first reaction? Is that what it's implying? Or is it just implying, maybe even more so in the... It seems to be more the implication in her translation, which is the NLT is a little bit more of a paraphrase than it is a direct, you know, kind of like word for word. So it seems like the translators of the New Living Translation felt like that the essence of the verse wasn't that the goal is to every time your first automatic reaction is to be joyful, but is more to remind yourself that there's an opportunity for joy in the trial. What do you guys think about that?
3: Well, I don't think that any of the verse, any of the, the, the translations say your first reaction should be joy. Like, I don't think that, I think that was just an interpretation that we made. So, is me, that, I mean, no, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. No,
0: well, I, no, that's, well, that's right. I'm not saying, sorry, finish your thought. I have a thought.
3: Well, I was <laughs> just thinking, like, I think it was our translation, right? Our interpretation of it is that. The goal is to get your first reaction to be. But I think that's unrealistic. I mean, human nature in us, we are constantly battling human nature. And human nature is to be disappointed, to be upset, to be grieving, whatever. No, and none of these translations of how many of them are out there, none of them say, brothers and sisters, consider it your first reaction to be joyful. It's true. You know, I think that what Heather was saying, that is the goal is, the opportunity of it, I think that's an easier way to understand it. To say, mm-hmm. no matter what your first reaction is, quickly try to find the blessing in that. Right. Try to find, be redirected to the joy that you can.
0: I like that. Be redirected to the joy. So what I was right. gonna, I was gonna say that you know, so there is this interesting um, story, right, in, in the Gospels where Jesus is on the boat. With his disciples. And there's the storm that comes up. And then in that storm. Oh honey it's okay. In um, the story with the disciples. And the boat goes kind of like rocking. And the storm comes. And then Jesus kind of like seems to chastise them. Where he's like hey you guys were supposed to choose faith. Right. So there's, this, there's that verse that seems to imply. That you should. Like that your choice should be faith. But at the same time, Jesus himself in the garden, like was was overwhelmed with with grief and before he because he knew what was coming to him. So there is that human side. So I, I almost imply, yeah, go ahead.
2: I'll finish your thought. I, mean, sorry.
0: So I, I think I almost um, I think I, what, I guess what James is saying is like he's like me, lead with the point, and then you kind of discuss like how you apply it. So like the point is, This is an opportunity for joy. Like, period. How you get there is probably going to take a variety of ways. And Jesus saw the same thing. Jesus, in the end, chose the right answer, which was, I don't want this, Father. Is there any other way? I wish I didn't have to do this. But it's your will. And then he went through it. You know, there is no place in Scripture, even even post-script, that looks back on the moment of Jesus in the garden that like goes, man. If our Savior hadn't been weak, like there was none of that. So it doesn't seem to be any implication that you can't like be frustrated with a circumstance. I think it's, but the goal is to consider it joy when there are trials to see that in it. Go ahead, Tad. Yeah. What I want to
2: propose is that we look a little lower in the text, like we jump to the verse twelve to eighteen.
0: Hey, we're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, uh,
2: because that's when he goes better on this, right? And uh, maybe you just want to read this. Is that okay? Do you want to yeah. Read well,
0: l- do you want to read all the way down, or just oh, that go one? Go ahead, from? because
2: you have different translation and I don't want to confuse anybody. So, just stay with one
0: translation. Do you want to read just verse twelve? Is that what you're saying? No, no.
2: I'm saying if you can read from, so we read from the continue going. One. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Twelve to eighteen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So. Okay, so let's just start from where we were at. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who will give to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So there's an interesting point we should come back to as well. Mm -hmm. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers fall off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one should undergo a trial saying, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire." Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Two more Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures
2: you know there's a lot of to back, and like you said well we have to come back to this and i feel that like james is writing this and it's like oh there's so much i want to tell you there's just you right know, so much angles you can look at this but i feel like the, this verse is two to four mm-hmm. he kind of go on the rabbit trails in the five to like yeah that, and then he comes back to it at and 12 then, well, coming back to the trial thing and then goes on 12 right and um i'm just curious because it seems like okay there's there's something going on now you're being trialed or being tried mm-hmm. for something hey by the way this is not from God this is not God trying you out mm-hmm. uh then he speaks about your you know that that this is coming basically from you from your own uh, learn and, and uh, it's it's when you've been tempted is lured and enticed by your own desire and then your desire gives birth to sin so now you're being tried for this desire that, that gave birth to, to sin, but it's not from God. So I was wondering, why does it come from? And why is this being tried? And what's the purpose behind that? Because I think if you unpack this, then the whole thing like, oh, be joyful about it, it makes a lot more sense. Because it's like, what, what's happening and why it's happening? That's actually a really good point. Then you say, oh, that's a good thing.
0: So, okay, so let's unpack that for a little bit. So if the, if the thought is, right, in verses 2 through 4, it's talking about, you know, it's it, it, it's setting out the principle, which is when trials come, you have an opportunity to, to to be joyful in that. But then down in verse 12, he says, but the trials are not like God saying, I want to test you. It's actually talking about that the source is your sin. I. Uh, verse fourteen, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. What's that desire? The desire to maybe doubt, the desire to be afraid, the desire to do things that are not what you should be doing in general, physically or you know, behavior or whatever. Right. So, think about back to the to Jesus in the boat with the disciples. Was he chastising them for their fear, or that they chose fear, hmm. maybe,
3: or that they gave into fear,
0: or that they gave into the fear?
2: That's all of the above, why, above perhaps sorry that's why he goes like do not be deceived my beloved brothers right mm-hmm. so he's talking about you going into this thing you know of your own desire and now you're giving a birth to sin sin brings you death do not be deceived like that's the right next thing he says
0: yeah do not be deceived my so dear, dear brothers some dis-
2: there, you know there's so some like deceitness this is, going on
4: that's kind of like i don't know like it's not my favorite translation actually but it's kind of touching how differently you can translate mm-hmm. uh, this thought so uh, there is New Living Translation, like I have a couple here, mm-hmm. and, and it, this verse is translated, for example, do not w- uh, waver for a person with divided loyalty.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. What verse is that? What number uh, is
4: that? It's, it's when, so that the, uh, because the one who doubts, like, um, so, but, but, but when you ask, you must believe and no doubt, not doubt.
0: Okay, so we're up. Um, it's
4: verse, oh, because we much fe- further probably than this.
0: Okay, it, so. yeah, so you're but, at verse six. But let him ask yeah, yeah. in faith without doubting, for yeah. the doubter is yeah. like the surging sea. So, so I
4: was checking how differently you can translate doubt, because yep. it kind of, I'm curious. And I like uh, that there, like, there are some some translations that are referring to divided loyalty. It can be kind of connected with the city. Like, I think for James, it's such a big thing here um, to touch on faith and works. And we know how in many denominations it's been been such an issue mm-hmm. because they e- either there is focus on work and salvation and faith and salvation and i think like james is here touching a little bit on that what is the relationship between faith and works and and how basically uh, works are money mani- uh, not manifestation um uh, can you help me on that um Expression, right. how works are expression of your faith, mm-hmm. and, and um, and we are kind of re- recently a little bit digging on uh, into how how Bible was understood by people with Asian mindset.
0: Asian mindset.
4: <laughs> uh, uh, Asian, uh, ancient. Mm-hmm. Like oh, Asian. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, j- when you think about Israelites, and also like they were surrounded by people. That serve different gods and different faith. And there are many cases in the Bible when actually they're reaching out instead of their God, instead of Yahweh, uh, and then later on, uh, when the New Testament, Jesus, they, they're reaching to, like, trying to, okay, maybe we should do it different way, maybe our way, or maybe, uh, maybe the way that other. People who serve other gods do, and, and I think that, that it's a big, big, big thing when he says about doubt too. Uh, how much your loyalty is put into one god? So um,
0: mm-hmm. that's really good.
4: And that, that basically every trial uh, it, uh, in this context is opportunity to express your faith yeah,
3: no, your
1: loyalty.
0: And, and your, your loyalty. loyalty. That's actually really interesting.
4: So uh, when you when you, you look and then when you think about your works. How, because uh, he talks about maturity, that, that works actually are leading us to uh, to righteousness and into growing into image of Christ. Mm-hmm. So basically, they're leading us into maturity and doing in righteousness as a way of thinking to do the right thing, like Jesus did.
2: And, and just to validate this is exactly, that verse 18 of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of His creatures. So it's getting more and more like Christ, you're
0: saying. Right. We're like the first version of the perfected version that that will become that way. So let's go back up to verse uh, 5 then because I think we've really unpacked the beginning there. So the concept of, well, actually, let's let's actually go back up to 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect... So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Which obviously, back down to verse eighteen, is the whole point of this: is to become like Christ. We know when we do, we become the first fruits of Him. Like this is a process for sure. None of us are, none of us are ever going to be perfect. Like that's just not the way it is. And so, so us becoming like Christ is the process. And apparently, according to this, every opportunity that we have where sin temptation tests our loyalty tests are you know are we going to choose faith or are we going to choose how i feel or choose the easy way whatever that is mm-hmm. every one of those means that you if you test your faith it produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may mature be mature and complete lacking nothing what does it mean to let endurance have its full effect what do you think that means
2: I'm stuck in conditioning, like you know, like you're, like you're an athlete and you're practicing, like you're building endurance so that you can do your forty k run. Otherwise, you die halfway through. Forty k. That sounds like yeah. a lot. Where is that? I, oh, <laughs> I mean, like, like you know, a marathon, right? If you, if you run. Ah, okay, marathon. I <laughs> was like, oh my god, forty. Forty k. Um, this is one three, I think was it. The one we just read was oh, one, one four. One four. Okay, sorry. Okay, thank you. So so he's talking about conditioning, and now this is conditioning for what?
0: Like a race, which Paul talks about, run the race with endurance, he says. Yeah.
2: And I think, you know, because we talk about his loyalty, like on okay. said, and it's because it's um you know, he also says we're gonna have tribulation, right? And this is Lord living his apostle saying, You are going to live there, but you will overcome that, right? And I'll give you a Holy Spirit. So I think it's all talking about the same thing, the same kind of conditioning because you're mm-hmm. gonna go through this. This is part of your time here on this world, you're gonna go through tribulation. You, you don't have to be a victim of it, you don't have to struggle through it, you have to condition yourself to so you become better in dealing with it, so to say. That's actually that. right? That's
3: really good, you don't have to be a victim through it, I think that's a really good approach to looking at it, I think that's what he's trying to say, is that like, that's the whole, you know, conditioning the endurance of it, like consider it pure joy, I mean, or, you know, redirect yourself to the joy of these struggles, because you can take control over your reaction to it. You can trust in the in a God who can get you through those and navigate it through it. You don't have to be a victim of the of the trial. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, and I well, think the, the
1: more that you with endurance, the the more you allow yourself to grow and to be tested in your faith, your first reaction kind of highly kind of say your first reaction isn't like, oh whoa is me, I'm going through this again. Your first reaction is, okay, wait a minute, let me let me look at this and see what's God I'm going to do through this? So now instead of, you know, curling up in a ball and feeling like the world is closing in, instead now I'm going to focus on God and say, okay, you know what, you've trained me to be who I am. I need to focus on you. And now I can endure this trial and come out and consider it joy that I have had the experience to be tested and to see you work through it.
0: You know, I watch a lot of soccer. And uh, and I, um, I always, something's always struck me is first of all, how far these individuals can run and how long they can do it for, right? So the endurance. And you know that that's what you do in soccer. You just run, 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 run. It's always struck me, though, that when there are breaks between, um, like, uh, whenever there's a stoppage, maybe a free kick or a corner kick or whatever, you look at them and they are winded. There is never a moment where a soccer player is like, this is fine. They're always tired. Their, Their lungs are constantly like, but they can just jump right back in immediately into the sprint, into the into that like ruling. So it's not that the the goal and I and I feel like it's 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 applicable here because he's talking about endurance, right? He's talking about the idea of it's not that that they understood that the sinful nature is always going to be there. It is never going to be eliminated. There is until we are until we are restored and made perfect, it will always be there and will always require the choice, right? So the the object then is not to is not to maybe to answer our original question. The object is not to be like be this perfect individual. That's where we're heading. But instead, the ability to to choose to choose faith, the ability to be joyful, and that reaction time is is shorter each time. And and when you're in it, you can still be productive and you can still move like the soccer player, like. They just ran the full length of the field, and they're tired, but they still have it in them, and they keep going. I think that's that's, that's how that's the implication for me. If you, I can just add something to yeah. that
2: metaphor of the soccer player, right? They As they run for those 90 minutes, they're also very good in conserving the energy. They know where to spend it. They just, you know, like amateur players, they run all the time.
0: And then they're exhausted in the last...
2: Right, and they just don't have time and they have energy to finish up their game. A professional player, they know exactly where to spend energy, when to run really fast, and when to let you know somebody else jump in. And, and I think there's also about this how we approach things. I don't know about you, but when things are happening, I'm like, oh, I have to figure this out. I have to find some ways. I have to try this. I have to try that. I and you try to resort maybe resourceful in solving the problem. And like, it's it's. Like if you've been through tribulations and all of, we, all of us been through some sort of tribulations in our lives you got to say okay, how did it end it the last time mm-hmm. and you see how God just made things perfect like it shouldn't even happen like it should have been impossible but he made it away right? right and say wait last time I was through this God helped me and walked me and find a path and strengthen my path guess what's going to happen this time Right. So, are knowing how this is going to end, you're like, well, then I don't have to strive so much. Right. Because at the end, it didn't help me last time. All my efforts were kind of, well, a, a noise kind what God was doing. So, if He's going to do all the hard work, and I know how this is going to end at the end, I can just be sitting here and relaxing and saying,
0: that's the best thing that ever happened. No, well, that's obviously easier said than done, right? Because like we still are human beings, we still have emotion, we still feel pain. So, so I think he actually gets into this next piece, right? So he's talking about wisdom, like like remembering maturity, right? Because which is what he basically said. He says so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Like that's the goal. The goal is to get to the point where you're mature and you're complete and every time an opportunity pops up like for like a trial pops up your reaction time to remembering what God did in your life is fast and you're like I'm not going to wallow I'm not going to sit in that space and yet there is that constant struggle so then he goes into verse 5 and he says well now if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly implying right that like that God is Like, people go, God, what do I do? What should I do? And again, that's a real thing, for sure, when you don't know what's going on. Because again, like, I think perspective is a big piece of this. But God is willing to give us grace and give us wisdom generously and ungrudgingly. In other words, you didn't listen to me last time. I'm not giving it to you now. No, he didn't do that. It says ungrudgingly. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting... Or without divided loyalties, which is the little thing there. So that word doubt is talking about without divided loyalties. So let's, we're going to hold that for a second and read the rest of this and then we'll come back to that. For the doubter, the one with divided loyalties is like the surging sea, like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So waves, just no purpose. They're just crashing everywhere because the wind is blowing them. That person should not expect to receive anything. Who's that person? The divided loyalty person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways or in all his conduct. So let's unpack that. So God says, James says, through God, I will give you wisdom. If you want to know how to act, you want to know what my will is for your life, you want to know like what the opportunity for joy is in this trial— Ask me, and I'll point it out to you. But then it's very clear. It's almost like a rebuke, like a... Because maybe there must have been some people kind of doing that, maybe a history or a habit of people. And I want to talk about that. What does it mean to be divided loyalties? What does it mean to be a doubter? I don't think he's talking about the natural human fear that arises, because we see that all throughout Scripture. We get that. What is he talking about here? Like, what does it mean to be double-minded?
4: I think we kind of have example from our life, to, that will be a good illustration of, of that. Like, uh, Ted lost uh, his job, like, it, because company was sold uh, November last year. Uh, and we basically, like, uh, it was like, and the whole unemployment and job search took about eight months. Mm-hmm. And we were, it was a trial for us. Sure. Uh, uh, and we were praying through this time. Uh, uh, about job about like basically wisdom because it was sometimes it, within what was going on it wasn't even clear if maybe like he should you know uh take a course and change his profession, maybe he should do this and that you know like different different things and we constantly literally we uh, we heard only one answer from God like when we asked about apartment because Our rent just finished, like what we should do, whatever we were asking and praying, we were receiving one, one like scripture or one, one word, seek my kingdom first. Hmm. So we had kind of situation where our loyalty and trust can be put in money or in provision or in job. I mean, in a job, like in a money through job.
0: Yeah. Security.
4: Basically. Yeah. But God was saying, seek my kingdom first and we were like really trying to unpack like it's like you know it's such a a basic term seek my kingdom but we were trying to unpack it very vague unpack (laughs) it what was it what does it actually mean in our circumstances in our situation like for us today it wasn't clear but um but whenever we were trying to focus our minds something else it just nothing was working nothing but whenever we really were just trying to not to think about that but really Focusing on different perspective, we felt like pieces were slowly try- coming together, but it required patience and erdu- uh, endurance, endurance. And yeah. I think endurance, with in scripture, like I checked, is is translated with patience. And in in like for example, in Revelation, when there are seven churches, mm-hmm. every trial and everything it's for those who endure patiently. So I think it comes kind of together. And I think our whole Christian life basically is waiting endure the whole life and as, as a trial um uh, endure patiently for coming back of christ this is what this the whole christian life about endure on a place that is not our real um homeland to basically for our savior to come back and this is this is what early church did mm-hmm. at the beginning of acts two. they were waiting patiently in for Jerusalem holy for holy spirit and then we are kind of in the same position. It doesn't mean uh, to be passive, but 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 be patient.
0: Well, you but know? you heard. So what I'm hearing, and stop me if I'm wrong, what right. I'm hearing you say is like my loyalty, I chose to remain loyal to what God, what we believe God said to us. Right. We pray, God, ask for wisdom, right? So I'm asking for wisdom. God, what do we do? I lost my job. I don't know where to go. All those things. Yeah. And God says, instead of going, I want you to move to Pittsburgh, he says, Seek my kingdom right. and, and I will take care of the rest. Right. And right? we would
4: like to hear, like, move to Pittsburgh, you know, so, it must be so easy. Right. <laughs> so, practically,
0: so practically speaking for this passage, right, the divided yeah. loyalties right. could have been, right. I'm not, I'm going to choose to be loyal to any number. You could say my sinful nature or be sinful or, or be loyal to... For for job being my security or where right. I live or an apartment, all of right. those are the things that I could have chosen to put my loyalty into. Right. Right. In which case, if that were the case, what is what does he say? Says that person. Where is it at here? Or sometimes that,
4: to advise of other people. That's they, true. That are your friends? A friend says, and they "Hey, you. The best you, you know, family. like that
0: sounds very great, but like you can't just pray all the time. You have to get right. a job or right. whatever, right. right? So that person is like a surging sea." That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's interesting. I don't. And again, God is not a grudging God. So, you know, but I think there's a space of repentance that's required. If you had chosen that, you're just going to reap the consequences of it. Like, God will do what he's going to do because he's the Lord of all. But at the same time, you may miss out on opportunities that he has for you. Or, um, or maybe your your choices bring consequences that he didn't want for you. And that's reality because you kind of had a divided, undivided loyalty. So I don't, I don't know that I take that scripture right there where it says like that person should not expect anything from God. I don't know that it's meaning that God is going to begrudgingly, be like, well, guess what? You're not getting any gifts from him anymore. I don't think that's what it means. I think that's what it's saying is more like it's implying you're missing out on what God wants for you, and you can't expect to hear from Him if you're not even going to bother listening. And when He tells you, you don't listen in the first right. place.
4: And sometimes we don't want to go through trials or pray to God to shorten them. But sometimes, like, someone pointed that to us, uh, but it was kind of good, that if you uh, want God to take you from the wilderness, like, take me from it now. He can do that. Right. Uh, but sometimes you are robbing yourself of the blessing that is after that because God is taking you intentionally sometimes for certain path. And I think uh, what, what this James touching here, it's important to kind of discern is if actual trial or, or kind of wilderness experience is from God, or is it because you caused it? Or is it because enemy? Because there are two t- totally different experiences if yeah. God is leading you through that. Right. Or if it just, right. just because it's unfortunate consequence of choices or sin or basically enemy. But if, if it's enemy, this, we just kind of don't want to be there, right? right. And we don't have to be there, I believe. Uh, um, but um, yeah, so that, that's kind okay. of...
0: So let's finish off here. We'll kind of go back through and, uh, and then finish. I think, I think this is a great uh, content space for the day. So let the brother, actually, this is interesting. Maybe we'll come back to this one next week. But let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation. So we're at verse 9 and 10 here. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers fall off, its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activity. So we'll definitely come back to this one next week. So then to cap off today, blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, the test of life or the test of this moment or any of them, it's like layered, he will receive the crown of life that God has... Promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. When he's tempted to have another loyalty other than the Lord. That's kind of how I'm unpacking that. Then after his desire is conceived when you linger on it and you kind of let it sit there for a little while. I almost feel like I feel like what it's saying for us is is you know I don't know if anybody else like this i do this all the time is a thought pops in my mind and I don't kill it right away I let it linger in there I let the the doubt or the fear or the the the, the desire to do something that maybe I know is I let it sit there that's that first part right the tempted but then it says when each one is tempted and drawn away and and, ten, and then after desire is conceived so like if, there's a gestation period like that it it grows and then eventually you let it sit there long enough, unchecked, and then it becomes birth. It becomes birthed into sin. Then it action. And then when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death, which is, I think that's talking about like then it becomes a pattern. The pattern of sin. Like you have not only done a mistake, you allowed it to germinate and become something. But now you have that sin is there and you're engaging in it willfully or at least willfully allowing it to remain in place without addressing it. And it says ultimately that gives birth to death. I think about people, and this is a way bigger subject, but I think about how many Christians, public profile Christians we're seeing, who after years are saying that they're giving up their faith, they're walking away from their faith. And I wonder how much of that is rooted in there were things that they had undealt with for such a long period of time and it's a natural course that sin divides us from God. I don't know. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we'd be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are, we are the, the new creation. That's what we are, a new kind. There, nothing has ever existed like we, like we are right now. And all of what we are, of what is happening in our lives, ultimately, as we choose Jesus, as we choose God as our loyal master, as we serve him, like James started with, right? A servant of God. If we serve him and are loyal to him, we are becoming more like Christ. We're becoming more like him. And every trial, every situation, every chance that our sinful nature rises up, that we choose him instead of it, we become more and more like him. Anybody online have any thoughts? Okay. Well, I think this is a great place to stop. What was that? I just said it's been a great discussion. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great place to stop today. Next week, we'll come back and we can start with the... Uh, oh, sorry, two weeks. Yeah. We'll come back and we'll, we'll read the one, the passage uh, about um, where it talks about like the rich being hum- a humiliating position and, the, and the, the poor being an exalted position. We'll start there and then we'll kind of see where we go. So um, awesome. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I thank you that, um, that we get to read um, centuries and centuries and centuries ago of, of, of truth that has been shaping your people. Um, and that every new generation that comes along has to start. You know? So like I think of James when he wrote this, that by the end of his life he was far closer to the goal of being mature and complete and lacking nothing than he was in the beginning of his life. Maybe even when he wrote this letter. And we're in that cycle now, right? So we're reading it and we're becoming more like your son, Jesus. You're making us be like him and, and our choices. And at the end of our lives, I pray, God, that we would be so close to what you've called us to be. But then it starts over with every new creation, every new person who comes to know you. And I thank you for the living nature of your word that it is never irrelevant. It is always timely. And so, um, God, for each of us today, as we have read your word, as we have, have digested it, as we've talked about it and, and really dug into it, I thank you for the insights that have been given here. I thank you for the, um, for the truth that has been spoken. And we pray that as we leave here and go about our week and our, in our days and everything that we do, that we would remember what was said here, that there would be pieces of the word um, or pieces of conversation and we would remember them. They would stick inside of us and they would you know, continue to um, you know, like kind of poke its head to remind us. And when trials come up this week, as we have an opportunity to choose to be angry at our spouse and, and lash out or as we have an opportunity to potentially cut a corner at work and, and choose the easy way rather than the thorough way, that you would, um, that, that again, that that we would be reminded of, of the opportunity and what the joy is. God, if we get bad news or difficult news or something comes up that is that causes us to feel fear or shame or any, any whatever, anything, that we would be reminded of, no, what is this an opportunity? Holy Spirit, speak to us. We give you permission to challenge us, to confront us, to convict us, to encourage us and to remind us of, uh, of, of the joy that is waiting for us as we choose to give you our loyalty alone. I thank you for what you're doing here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.